All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the truth of this song that our Savior is sufficient. His work is finished. It is enough. We don't have to add anything to it. Uh, we simply believe in what He has done and who He is, and and You uh, um, accept that as um, as, satisfac- as fa- satisfactory. And so we are thankful for our Savior, and we want to live in light of this truth and, and uh, according to Your Word. So help us to understand and appreciate um, especially these psalms today as we look at them. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today we're looking through the book of Psalms. And um, the book of Psalms is the prayer and praise book of God and, and His people. And today we want to um, we want to just kind of do an overview of them. The book of Psalms is... Uh, one way of um, helping us to be able to say what we what we feel um, as Christians, there are all sorts of hills and valleys that we go through, and um, the way that I think about the Psalms or good hymn writers is that they're able to put into words what I'm feeling, and um, and that's what the Psalms do. Obviously, this is an inspired um, uh, record from God's people of how to praise God, how to how to lament well, and so on. So here's uh, what John Calvin says about the Psalms. He says, I've been accustomed to call this book an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, for there's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. So there's, there's nothing that you can feel that can't be represented in the Psalms. That's what he's arguing. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the mind of men are wont to be agitated. The other parts of Scripture contain the commandments which God enjoined His servants to announce to us, but here the prophets themselves see that they are exhibited to us as speaking to God. They draw each of us to the examination of Himself in particular, in order that none of the many infirmities to which we subject, and of the many vices with which we abound, may remain concealed. So, we don't have to feel as if we are um, alone or unable to express our thoughts uh, about life and about God. Rather, the Psalms help us to put into words uh, what we are what we're experiencing. In good times, nothing better expresses the praises that we give to God than the Psalms. And in bad times, nothing can better remind us that God knows our sorrows and our troubles. I mean, think about Jesus when He was on the cross uh, that He actually quoted from the Psalms. He, he, was, so, um, he was so engulfed and he, he was, uh, the Psalms so much filled Him that it, it basically became part of His expression of life and, and even in death. And today we want to study the Psalms by posing six questions. First, what are the Psalms? What are the Psalms? Well, the the Psalms are a a collection of 150 musical poems and prayers with different authors and characterized by different literary forms. Um, They are written in Hebrew. Some of them, um, uh, some of them are uh, anonymous. That is, we don't know the author uh, of who they are, but 
but many of them have inscriptions that, that we can treat as reliable. The, the inscriptions themselves are not inspired. That is, it's not part of what the Holy Spirit had the writers write down. But we can accept them as truth like a good history book. Um, they're part of, they're part of uh, the opening of the psalm and helps us to tell often when these things happen. So like while David was in the wilderness running from Saul or something like that. Um, they're historically accurate, but they're not inspired. Um, many of the psalms are composed or sung on special occasions. There are at least five psalms that are written for the coronation of a king. Some of the psalms appear to have been connected with historical events, um, like with David. There's at least 14 of those. They are entirely poetry, which means that the language is condensed, uh, that they can convey their meaning through image and structure. Now, there's a difference between English poetry and Hebrew poetry. In English poetry, we tend to um, we tend to use poetry. It works kind of through sound. So Mary had a little lamb. Her fleece was white as snow everywhere that Mary went. Her 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 lamb was sure to go. So there's some there's supposed to be rhythm there. It wasn't when I said it, but um, there's at least rhyming. Um, but with Hebrew poetry, uh, there's not so much that. Even if you just read it in the Hebrew language, you wouldn't hear rhyming. That's not how they do a poetry. Instead, they use parallelism. So listen to Psalm 103.10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. So he's essentially saying the same thing. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. He's essentially saying the same thing, but he's just using parallelism. He's, he's restating what he has already said. Or sometimes Hebrew poetry uses contrast. Psalm 63.8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So I cling to... God, and God upholds me. So there's this contrast that's going on. I'm doing something, and God's also doing something at the same time. And this is helpful, um, uh, obviously, because God designed it this way, that Hebrew poetry uses parallelism because it can actually transcend culture, and it can transcend language. So, for example, if Hebrew poetry were only rhyming, then it wouldn't work in any other language, right? Once you translate it to a different language, you're not going to have the rhyming that's, that was intended. And so uh, Hebrew poetry uses parallelism, and that can transcend any uh, time or culture or language. All right, who wrote the Psalms and when? The Psalms were written by many different people over a long period of time. The earliest Psalm was probably written by Moses, Psalm 90. Um, he was... Uh, around in the 14th century B.C. And then Ezra probably wrote the last psalm and, and very likely compiled the remainder of the psalms. And that was um, closer to 500 B.C. So you have a thousand years between the first author of psalm and the last author of psalm uh, of one of the psalms, or at least the compiler of them, uh, the collector. And then in addition to those two men, you also had the sons of Korah, that wrote a number of psalms. You had Asaph wrote a number of psalms. Solomon wrote Psalm 72. And then, of course, David wrote the most that we know of. 73 psalms are written by David. Um, and then another, a number of others are not, uh, we're not told who wrote them. <clears throat> so, um, but whatever the case, we have a thousand years of writing and at least six different authors. 
All right, third question we want to consider is how are the Psalms structured? The Psalms are divided into five books. Each book concludes with a doxology, um, a special song of praise to God. So book five ends with five doxologies in, in um, uh, six doxologies in, in 145 through 150. And so it's kind of like a climax of the whole book. That, that God is great, God is to be worshipped, God listens to our voice, praise God, all is, is repeatedly stated in those five books. And the more that I um, read the Psalms and, and read about the Psalms by scholars, the more I'm convinced that this is probably the way that we should consider the Psalms in these book forms. Um, in fact, in your Bible, you probably have, right before Psalm 42... You probably have a, a heading there that says book number two. And uh, so let's, um, let's, let's go through some of these and, and maybe that will help us think through how this works. So let's start with book one and, and psalm number one. This first... Uh, these first 41 psalms were probably compiled by David. Remember, um, what, what's happening here is, is you almost have like a rapid-fire initial um, uh, display of, of, of David's psalms at the very beginning. So towards the end, we, we have fewer of David's psalms, although there are some that are included in that last book. Um, the first one seems to be just a, a rapid-fire display of David's psalms. And it seems like he took this first book and put it together, and then over time Ezra finished it up, um, finished up all the rest of the psalms. Psalm one presents us—it's kind of an introduction to all the psalms—presents us with two kinds of people: a righteous man and a, and a and a wicked man. So look at this righteous man. How blessed is the man, verse one, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So how blessed is this man who, who walks righteously? Um, and so we have this, we have this um, picture of what God is looking for in a person in a poetic form, God is looking for a righteous person. And then the very next psalm talks about the most righteous of all people. That is, it's not saying that just, it's not simply saying that we need to be righteous. It's saying more than that. It's saying that who is this man, who is this blessed man who is completely righteous? Psalm 2 gives the answer because Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm, a psalm about the Messiah. And I don't think that this psalm is accidentally placed. Instead, in verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and His anointed. We will not listen to your king that you've set up over us. In verse 5, God rebukes them. In verse 6, He installs His king. And then verses 7, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, the end, the very ends of the earth as your possession. So here we have a promise of a Messiah who will come and who will reign as king and who must be believed on and, and received by the world. Uh, those who don't will be destroyed. But even at the end of the psalm, 
uh, God gives an opportunity for these people who are raising their fist in His face to repent. So, even though you deny my rule and you deny my son and his rule, um, I'm still giving you an opportunity to repent. And that's what he does. And that's what he says in verse 10. So, verse uh, in Psalm 1, we have a righteous man. Who is the righteous man who is ultimately blessed? In Psalm 2, we have the Messiah who is coming to reign and rule over the whole earth. And so, sometimes we look at the Psalms Um, we think about them as disconnected units as if um, we kind of look at them like the Proverbs in a lot of cases. They're just kind of just a random um, groupings of psalms. So you could pick out any psalm you want and it could mean something different. It doesn't really connect to anything before or after it. But again, the more I look at these psalms, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that these actually do go together and there's a reason or some kind of a flow, even though we may not be able to understand all of it, um, there's some kind of a flow in these books, why they're collected in the way that they are. And so, um, we've already done a study through the Psalms, uh, partially on on Wednesday nights, but um, but I do intend to, uh, to pick up that study and do it on more, more of a topical basis, which is what we'll look at here in just a minute. But, um, but I think next time I go through the Psalms, I'm probably just going to go through them consecutively. And... Um, uh, next time I start start back at the beginning, that is. Unfortunately, it's too late at this point. So, The next book is uh, book number two, Psalms 42 to 72. These psalms are uh, filled with lament psalms, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. They're the great distress and difficulty that comes to God's people, um, and so they're psalms of great comfort. The, the third book, Psalms 73 to 89, probably written after the exile, it may have been written as a source of comfort and peace in this time of national catastrophe. They help us understand the apparent triumph of evil men and how that fits into God's great, greater purposes. The fourth book uh, shows the importance of worship in the wake of the exile. Psalm 110 um, stresses this divine kingship and contrasts it with the human kingdoms that seem to be rising up and winning. And, and yet... Um, Psalm 110 is um, uh, that I will install my son as the king of all kings. And then the final book stresses divine kingship as well, Psalms 107 through 150. And its main theme is to praise God, and that's how it it concludes. Psalm, the very last verse of the Psalms, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All right, any questions on that? All right, let's think about the different kinds of psalms. Question number four, what are the different kinds of psalms? And for this, it would be helpful just to look on the back page of your handout. Uh, This is how I'm preaching through the psalms right now. Um, I've broken them up based on my um, seminary professor's um, uh, his his list of the psalms, how they're they're, uh, broken down based on topic. And there are these kinds of psalms. Psalms of lament, a number of those. Psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of kingship and covenant, psalms of trust, and psalms of wisdom. So what I'm doing is each time that I go through the psalms, I've broken it down into four preaching series. And um, each time I go through the psalms, I'm trying to do a, a selection of each kind of these psalms. So you're, 
Every time that we go through the Psalms, we're going to have a lot of laments because there are, are a lot of laments. So I break those down into four different preaching sections. Then Psalms of Praise. Each time you're going to have several Psalms of Praise and so on. So each time we get an idea of the different kinds of Psalms so that when you're looking at literature, you need to recognize that there are different kinds of literature. And so every time you read something, you need to read it in the, the, the way that it was meant to be read. Uh, we can't read everything the same way. Um, there are some that are just sorrowful. You know, there, there's, there's pain that's going on. And so we need to think about that. So let's look first at the, the Psalms of Lament, of Lament. And a good example of that, the first Psalm of, of Lament, is Psalm number 3. A Psalm of Lament is another just, just another way of saying a Psalm of Sorrow. That is, that it turns from sorrow, it starts out with sorrow, kind of feel the pain that they have, and then it moves to a trust in God. So it's different from a worldly sorrow that just commiserates about their troubles and and uh, blames it on other people instead, the psalmist actually says what is true about the troubles that are going on, but then moves to trust. But, but my hope is in you, God. So here's an example. Psalm number 3. Look at the introduction there in verse 1. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. So he begins with an appeal to God. He doesn't turn to himself. He, he, you already get this idea that he's going to turn and trust to God because he starts his prayer with, O Lord. And then he explains to God what's going on. My adversaries, my enemies have increased. But the Psalm of Lament is not a pity party. He turns and confesses his trust in God. Notice verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. So here he's already turning to trust. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his mountain. Uh, I lay down and slept, verse 5. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves up uh, against me round about. And then verse 7, he gives a prayer request. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. And so he has this confidence that God is going to deliver him. And that's why he, he prays. And then finally he concludes with a vow to praise God, a concluding prayer. In verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your, or we could say deliverance belongs to the Lord. We, we think of salvation more in terms of um, being saved from our sins, but I think in this context it's talking about deliverance from His enemies. Your blessing be upon your people. So, the Psalms of, of Lament do not pretend that everything is, is puppy dogs and roses, but, but actually see life for what it really is and actually talk to God about that, right? It actually says, God, this is not right. I mean, this, this is not settled. And, um, and God, you, you are the one who, who ultimately has the authority and the power and the love to take care of all these things. So I'm, I'm giving these things to you. I'm, I'm praying for your help. And uh, there's no better way that a Christian can respond to trouble than to say what is true about that trouble to God and then trust in Him. And that's what the Psalms of Lament do. And there's so many of them and they, they help us to, to see that, that, that we ought to go to God in times of trouble. Um, that we cast all of our cares upon Him because He cares for us. right? That, that we're not anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, we, pre- we present our, uh, our, our requests to God. Philippians 4. 
Psalms of Lament. So uh, there's two categories within those individual laments and community laments. So individual would be like this one here where David has a specific trouble. His enemies are against him. And he's um, this specifically when his son was, was chasing him, wanting him dead. And then the community lament obviously is, is with the whole nation of Israel and, and their enemies. All right. Any questions on that? Comments? I just encourage you to, um, you know, when you have these times of trouble, find some psalms of, of lament so that you can speak rightly about your circumstances. They help put words to what you're already feeling, and they do it in a biblical way. That is a, a way that God is honored. Rather than passing blame on other people or, or on God himself, um, we, we turn to him for trust. Second, psalms of praise. Psalms of praise are similar to the Thanksgiving psalms, but are distinguished by their lack of reference to the worshippers' earlier problems or God's recent intervention. So it's what we're going to see here. The psalms of thanksgiving are usually in a response to a specific request. So we could actually take psalms of praise and psalms of thanksgiving and, and put them together. But really, psalms of praise are more generic. Just praising God for who He is and what He's done. Thanksgiving is specifically, you have responded to my prayer, and so I'm thanking you for that specific um, for that specific thing. So Psalms of Praise are more generic. Look at Psalm number 8. You can see this. Psalm number 8 begins with a call to praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. So it's not because He responded to some specific request, but because He's just great. I mean, He's majestic in all the earth. He's the Creator. And then He gives reasons for why God is great and why He should be praised. Um, the end of verse 1, He's displayed His splendor above the heavens. Um, he has destroyed enemies. He's Verses 3 and following, He's this great God who, who has made all these things and yet He still has consideration for us um, little peons in the big scheme of things, right? And actually, He's crowned us with glory and honor. Verse 5, made us to rule over the work of our hands. Verse 6, and... and um, and then there's this final summary in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. The repetition of what He said at the beginning. So, more generic, um, but the point is, is is to praise. And obviously, you can see um, on your handout there, Psalm, many in the, in the last book, right? The last book starts in 107. So notice um, 111, 113, 114, 117, 122. 134, 135, and then 145 all the way to the end. All psalms of praise. And uh, it's one of the great values in reading through the Scriptures is just to see those lined up one right after another. These were the Hallel psalms, uh, the ones towards the end that they would praise God um, because He had delivered them from their enemies. Psalms of Thanksgiving. Next, um, and these are in order, by the way, of of how often they appear in the Psalms. So these are the the next most that you see are the Psalms of Thanksgiving. So Psalm 30 is a good example of this. Psalm 30. Again, so the Psalms of Thanksgiving are more um, specific. That God's responding to a specific request and we're responding with thanksgiving. Right, we we asked God for help in this specific circumstance. God gave it. He delivered us from our enemies, maybe in a way we didn't expect, but He did it. And so we're coming back to God. We're like the the one leper who was healed, right? Who actually went back and gave thanks. And um, 
that's what ought to be the mark of believers, that we recognize what God has done for us and we respond specifically to Him specifically with thanksgiving. In verse 1, he invokes God, I will exalt you, O Lord. And then verses 2 and 3, he lays out his motives for giving thanks. Notice verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. So this isn't just you're great, you're majestic, you know, you've done all these great things in the universe. No, I specifically called out to you for help and, and you healed me. Verse 3, you brought me up from Sheol or death. You've kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. And then the psalmist addresses God in verses 4 through 10. Verse 8, he says, To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. In verses 11 and 12, he recounts God's response. He says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. And then finally, Verse 12, he says at the end, I will give thanks to you forever. So here's a promise of continual thanksgiving because I'm not going to forget about what you did for me, God, and I'm going to keep praising you and thanking you for your goodness in that way. Psalms of kingship um, and covenant. Uh, Psalm 47 is a good example of that. We're not going to have time to turn there, but they celebrate and affirm the loyalty um, that a person has to God as king. God, you are my king, and because of that, um, I'm going to I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be your subject. Psalm 23. Let's turn there for the next kind of psalm of trust. Psalm of trust is similar to a psalm of lament. The only difference is there's not sorrow for something that's specifically happened. Um, instead, it's just a, an acknowledgement of trusting God that He is worthy of of um, of our care uh, of caring for us. That He is our rock, our refuge, and so. In Psalm 23, he, he, he acknowledges his trust in God's provision. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not have any desires. In other words, unmet desires. And then he gives a catalog of God's provisions, right? Rest, verse 2. Restoration, verse 3. Moral righteousness, the end of verse 3. And then protection. Even in the darkest of times, God is there and able to protect. And then verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. So another expression of trust in God's provisions. All right, so there's a number of those, um, seven or eight of those. And then finally, the Psalms of Wisdom. Psalms of Wisdom, we already looked at Psalm 1 as an example of this. Uh, something that we might expect to find maybe in, in, um, in the Proverbs or something to help us understand more about God and, and how we ought to live. In light of what he's done for us, Psalms of Wisdom. All right, any questions on the structure of the Psalms or the different types of Psalms? All right, a couple more questions we want to consider. First, how do the Psalms point us to Jesus? And then, how do we read the Psalms as Christians? Um, Charles Drew, in his book, breaks up the Psalms into two types. Songs of the Messiah, uh, or, or songs about uh, psalms about the Messiah, or psalms by the Messiah. So, in other words, uh, the psalms about the Messiah are the ones that focus their attention on this glorious King of Israel that's coming. He's great and glorious, and these psalms are prophetic psalms. We already looked at Psalm two, 
that God says, I'm going to establish my son and you need to listen to him. And Psalm 110 is another example of that. Um, so on. And then Psalms by the Messiah are Psalms that were, not, not that he wrote them necessarily, but, but rather that these are Psalms that he used in his life to express what he was feeling. So, for example, when he clears the temple in John 2, he quotes from Psalm 69 and says, Zeal for your house consumes me. Or when he goes to his death in John 15, he's quoting Psalm 35 and Psalm 69. They hated me without reason. And then his describing his turmoil in his heart in John 12, he quotes David in Psalm 6. A number of Jesus' last words are psalms, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Or I thirst. Um, we're, we're told that that's actually a... Um, that, that he got that from Psalm 69. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's from Psalm 31. So as Jesus suffers, as he's thinking through all these things, he goes back to the psalms to express what he is feeling. So psalms by the Messiah. Um, but not just his suffering, also his vindication. Peter points to Psalm 16 to explain his resurrection. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. That's Peter in Acts 2, uh, talking about Psalm 16. And then um, even Psalm 22, which Jesus quotes on the cross, is also used to describe his ministry today in the church by the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, and then he quotes from Psalm 22, I will declare you, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And so Calvin's quote, I think, is right. It's an anatomy of, the, of every part of the soul. If Christ is able to use the Psalms to help express what he is thinking, then how much more... Uh, can we do the same? So, the Psalms point us to Jesus in that uh, many of the Psalms are about Jesus and many of the Psalms are, are, by, are, are used by Jesus. And then finally, how do we read the Psalms as Christians? Uh, first, we need to read them in context. In other words, with attention to the kind of Psalm. So again, we can't just read everything the same. Uh, we, don't read the, we don't read a newspaper the same way that we read a novel or the same way that we read, we read a, a law journal, you know, uh, um, or a doctor's journal, or something like that. We're going to read them differently, uh, or a kid's book. There's different genres, and so we need to recognize that different um, goals when things are being being written. So, um, so we need to read them in context. Read them according to the type of psalm that they were meant. And then secondly, we need to read them uh, as Christ read them. Apply them to the Messiah where they are meant to be for the Messiah. Um, and uh, my uh, New Testament, or my Old Testament professor was um, saying that many of the Psalms uh, are, are actually Messianic Psalms and we don't, we don't see it. They're, they're designed to point to the Messiah uh, but we kind of think about them only for ourselves. And certainly there's great value for ourselves, but, but sometimes we miss a, a larger point that's being made there. And then finally, um, we read them for ourselves through the mediator, applying to us through the Messiah that Christ is our mediator 
and in Him we approach Him with confidence. In other words, as you read the Psalms, keep Christ continually on your side like a trailblazer who, who is leading you down the, the, the path that, that He has blazed for you. So He's used the Psalms in order to, to walk through life and get Him through difficult times. We ought to do the same thing. We ought to have Christ at our side saying, kind of like He's going back around the second time. He's already blazed the path for us. And, and now we're going along with him this time and he's saying, see, this is, this is the spot that was just overcome with obstacles, which you see now, but, but for me, this is how I got through it. And he used the Psalms in that way. All right, any questions before we get to the video? All right.